What are you doing out in the snow? It's 32 degrees below zero Celsius. And my dad is working hard, looking beyond the extents of hypothermia, hypochondria, and all the elements combined. He works to build a fence. A true servant, a true worker, a true exhibit of hard work and ethics. This is my father in whom I am well pleased. Nice. Did you guys notice the little thing that they added in our production studio? No. What? what yeah, there's a bar that shows you how long the video is going to play for. So you I didn't even look. I wasn't paying attention. I was just jamming. Yeah. I was reading. You guys miss the rehearsals, you know. I'm Anyways, down. welcome to the Bitcoin Podcast. Welcome episode number podcast. 391. I am recording uh, from an interrogation room. <laughs> today one day you'll have a proper setup again yeah man they're they're doing a trim on my studio doing a trim <laughs> almost there two months away well, anyways i'm the host that talks first uh my name is d i am the host that talks second my name is dr Corey petty and i'm the host that talks third jesse broke nice almost on how are you uh, I'll, I'll go first. I'm, I'm good. You know, uh, it's been a year. 2022 has been a year. It's like that transition. Like, I feel like the world is reminding itself that like COVID is mostly waning. And so there's a transition period now where like people are back out, but still look confused. So yeah, like, people don't know how to be outside anymore. Yeah. And like the grocery store, they're like, Hey, uh, you touched that grape. Should I touch that grape? And I'm like, I don't fucking know. It's like, it's the same rules as before. I think. Right. Is it? I don't know. You know, there's transition period. Um, damn. I you, do you, do you eat grapes? Like, do you like, before you buy it, do you like rub it and then eat it? Rub yes, it. I do. Yeah. You rubbing grapes. Some people, some people like rub the grape on their shirt and then they yeah. try it before they buy the bag. Yeah. Okay. It puts, like you it wipe it off the, on your shirt. Yeah. yeah. It puts the okay. pesticides in your shirt. Yeah, you're like, you just rub, rub yeah, it. rub it. Like, no, no, no. <laughs> that would be a little bit weird. <laughs> I must make a wish on this grape before I eat it. No. I do. Sometimes I just do it in my hands, which defeats the purpose. But, um, so. yeah, sure. Um, Sorry, Jesse and I can talk about fruit for a very long time. We once had shows that were sponsored by a dried fruit manufacturer that never actually sponsored us. Yeah, we reached out One to day them. We'll actually have sponsors again when we yeah. drop our ass and get some. <laughs> um. Anyways, this is the Bitcoin podcast where we don't talk about Bitcoin. No, we talk about pretty much whatever we want in crypto. Sometimes life. Sometimes you're wrapping it up. We're gonna like uh, just say like it's over now because uh, Bitcoin's dead. Is Bitcoin dead? Bitcoin died? Yeah. Oh, no, that's the sentiment. That's the sentiment right now. That usually means we're we're close to a bottom. We're like three, four months away from a bottom. So. There in Coindesk, it says Bitcoin's dead. On Coindesk, it's like, ooh, I bet, I bet there's something on like Hacker News. Coindesk is saying Bitcoin uh, is dead? 
Oh, wow. That's impressive. I'm checking Hacker News to see if there's anybody that's saying like Bitcoin's dead. Coindesk wouldn't say Bitcoin is dead. I didn't say Coindesk. I said Hacker News. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, usually right around the time. So, audience, if you're listening for the, you know, you're new out there and you stumbled across the Bitcoin podcast, episode 391. One, by listening to episode 391, it should tell you that you're very late to the crypto game. And this is a weekly podcast. But I don't want to make you feel bad. But, but Bitcoin dies a lot. I think there's a website that calculates it. And I think Bitcoin has died almost a thousand times in 10 years. So it's about 100 times a year Bitcoin dies because that's the, the volatility of it, right, people? As soon as the price goes down like more than 7%, somebody's like, it's, it's Bitcoin is dead. It's never going to work. It's a scam. It's a this. It's a that. It's for it's What's for the current year over year right now? What was it last year from today? Uh, that's a good question for Yagi and I's chart. Let me see if it's up to date. Give me a sec. There's no way that's up to date. He's keeping that thing up to date. He, needs, he deserves a medal. He does it for fun. But um, let me see. see gotta do a little, little search in here. Do a little search in my little drive here. See what we got going on. There it is. Ooh. Come on. When's the last time? Around this time, it was. Ah, uh, he has not updated it in quite. Twenty-eight. Twenty-seven thousand around this time last year. A little higher. In the mid thirties. Can't tell. So it was on May 17, twenty twenty-one. It was forty-three point five. Mm, that's a fifty percent gainer year over year. To the negative. We are 30.4 days. We're not, not real time. It's like end of day. Mm. So, really. so what's awesome is if you look at the year over year, there's like, so this will give us, I'm trying to put some hopium out there price wise, you know, just throw it out there. Jesse doesn't like opium. You can see his face. He was like, ugh, it tastes disgusting. No, I'm like, my nose is itchy. There's about an 80% chance. <laughs> oh, okay. He's got itchy nose. Yeah. There's an 80% chance with Bitcoin, if you buy money today, it will be worth more tomorrow. That 20%? 80? Yeah. Yeah. Year over, on a year over year. That's what Yagi's numbers say. That's what the numbers that's what you say. Have, that's what you have in your chart. Is, is based on historical data, if you buy it today, based on historical year, data. You're 80% likely. You're 80% likely to your $1 will be worth $1 plus instead of $1 minus. That being said, even with 80% likely, those 20% chances hurt like a motherfucker, right? Because this is a very risky asset. So hashtag not investment advice. You should seek guidance on how to invest in risky assets before you start treating all of this crypto as a great investment tool. Your chart doesn't go back like for many years, right? It just goes back. It's actually, it's actually severely outdated, but it, what was, I'm getting at is like, it's not, it's not even anywhere. 2012 to 2020. Yeah. yeah. So it's not even, yeah. It doesn't have uh 2021 or 2022 in here. So um, it'd be easy. It to get. We just got a ping Yagi, but, 
it's it still following the same pattern. There's some heavy drops. Yeah. Heavy, heavy drops. And then followed by heavy, heavy gainers. So now one thing I I think is interesting to look at, and I haven't looked at prior to show would be the uh what's that thing that they call the the it's got like the goes up. It's got the, the rainbow chart. You see it all over the place with the rainbow chart, and it's like, hey, on the low end, the price is here. And then you know what I'm talking about, right, Jesse? It's forecasting? Like yeah. extrapolating. It's not data. forecasting. It, yeah, it's a it's a Even price forecast, but then it shows the Bitcoin price in relation to the no no uh, no it's crap. like a, it has it has like a, a based on a given model it'll have error bars and it'll show kind of the, the margin of error as you go forward based on the curve yeah. like the projection and the error going in different ways yeah but I think I what, what what indicator is that oh it's like there's a, a bunch of them i found that i'm gonna I'll put that shit up on you put it up here give me that sorry sometimes i like oh, to that one too. A random page. <laughs> I like how you were thinking a different one. I'm thinking about a very different one. thing. That's what I'm saying. Like, I, I, this is not. Yeah, Corey, thinking. you're thinking of something probably real. I'm thinking of this as something <laughs> that somebody made up a long time ago, and yeah, they Corey. like to look at it to to make. Like, how is that? Like, how is that rainbow? Well, look at these color categories here. We have maximum bubble territory. Sell seriously. Sell. Yeah. FOMO intensifies. Is this a bubble? Hodl, still cheap, accumulate by basically a fire sale. Yeah, but like if you look at the 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 uh, trajectory, right? Or like like the arc of that rainbow, like it's not a quadratic. Like, that's you like, see, what is that? Like what is what is that? What is that modeled after? Is doesn't it, that it look like, like a, that's a logarithmic I mean, like, function? I don't know what that means. That's a like that's what like. An algorithmic function. I said, function log- logarith- I said logarithmic. Oh, I said algorithmic. I was like, that's not a word. <laughs> no, no, that's a logarithmic function. I mean, the scale is log on the y-axis. Yes, yes. Uh, it's that's a. You know the pattern. The I'm just looking at this pattern, and what I see is that those highs are getting lower, and it's all capitulating down to the blue line. So it's. There's some trends there, like as you have each halvening, you're at a typical low, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you have a drop in the middle. Mm-hmm. And so we're experiencing what would be the drop in the middle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know. Let's, let's see. Yeah, but it looks like <laughs> there, I mean, there's there's no there's no like indication that no like what I'm saying is like price is exactly what happens, but there is a trend. If you look at the halvening. That spike at the tippy top is it used to be above the maximum bubble territory. And then this happening here in whatever year that is, 2017, 2016, then the spike was in in the rainbow. Then in the other happening, the spike was in the middle of the rainbow. Right. So in the next happening, if you take that trend, the next spike is gonna be not too, it's not even gonna be in the middle of the rainbow. It's gonna be like the price is gonna settle in at like 55. Sixty thousand. How do they determine these uh these these boundaries between between scales? Right. It's a great question. Let me see if that there's arbitrary. Docu- no, there's some documentation here. Oh, okay. We got more. Um, disclaimer is very important. So here's some disclaimers. The rainbow chart is not investment advice. Past performance is not indicative. Wait, y'all are looking at what I'm reading, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't have to like. 
Color bands follow logarithmic regression introduced by Bitcoin Talk user Trollalalala. <laughs> and you know it's real. That's how you know uh, it's real. But are otherwise completely arbitrary and without any scientific basis. We never change them though. <laughs> In other words, awesome. it will only be correct until one day it isn't anymore. By the way, I like that. The I, like, I, like the, I like the realness of that explainer. Is the Ethereum, the Ethereum one? Chart. Oh, it fell out of the band. We've got some pain. We've got yeah. some some pain coming. Yeah. Go to the link that showed uh, what Tralalalala said in 2014. That was a long time ago. And this OPL always posts the last updated chart. Update 2017. The last time Calculate today's streamlined value here. I want to see how much Bitcoin went into this Bitcoin. There's no, there's no, there's no, like, there's nothing. There's nothing that shows you, like, non-linear, so logarithmic regression. Okay, whatever. I give up. Here's what he did, Corey, and this is probably, this is something that, I mean, it's doable. It's just like, what if, you're looking at what ifs. It probably took... A, you know what isn't scientific? Any of the things you're about to say? No, it's not. It's what if. It's like, do you do you know that there's a hole? People use this and they use it as a as a as a as a reasoning to buy stuff or sell stuff. Oh yeah, yeah for sure. But do you know there's a whole like chapter of study in business that's like in business math that's called what if analysis. It's called what it what was it? It's called what if analysis. But how else are you? How else are you supposed to define business objectives? You say, okay, this is what I want my profit and loss to look like. So, what so if what sales went up like this? What happens to all this other stuff? What if all of a sudden our labor costs went up fifteen percent? What happens to my profit? Right? You you do what if analysis? You try and predict. You know how you get your profit from there because you have at least an algorithm that shows the connections between those things and what the dependencies are. Yes, I'm I'm looking for that here. I don't see it. Oh, this he probably just took like one logarithmic regression. That probably like the like the, the 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 thickness of a line having to correspond to whatever Microsoft Paint stroke he was using. Well, let's just see if we can figure it out. I mean, this, all this is is a logarithmic function with different bounds. Okay, but what does that mean? Like, no, like it's on, it's on log scale. That's what you're looking at. The y-axis is on a logarithmic scale. The yeah. x-axis is on a linear scale. Mm-hmm. That's it. That's what's logarithmic about it. The, the thing, the rainbow, has n- nothing that I can see that has any type of like reasonable algorithm. Couldn't we deduce it if we knew the curve here? This is each one of these bands is two curves. Doing, we're not doing that on this episode. <laughs> yeah, sorry, audience. We uh, obviously we're just trying to make sure you have a good time while you drive. But each one of these bands is just two curves. That's it. Oh, we got a comment. Ripple degenerate. We're not, we don't care about this. <laughs> it's on 1310, the ticket. He must be in Dallas. Yep, there you go. 1310. Wow, I can't believe I remember that. Right now, I'm talking about Bitcoin and says the price All would right. be 1 million within the decade. Let me tell you because, something, Ripple degenerate. That, that guy's wrong. So <laughs> uh, you, you heard it here first. That guy's wrong. Those numbers don't make sense. Um, okay, actually, so if you follow this out, 
if you were to extrapolate this, this particular line here. Jesse's getting more out. and more bored by the second. Okay. <laughs> it's falling back into his chair. <laughs> go ahead. Go ahead. Just like, but based on what this guy said, ripple degenerate. So there you go. Uh, if you fall, if you extrapolate this plot here, it will be one to two million by the end of the decade. And okay, if the price follows this this trend throughout the decade. Yeah. Look, the top line is five hundred thousand. <laughs> we justify. No, no, no. Price. This is. Oh yeah. yeah. Wait, why are you justifying the price it's by Rainbow Road, Corey? So like, how did he go into this? <laughs> There's no justification. It's follow the stupid graph. Like when it's like. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um, so if you're new to the Bitcoin podcast, we don't necessarily subscribe to looking at charts and trying to predict prices. I do know that that is some voodoo science out there. I do know there's a lot of people right now throwing chicken bones into uh, barbecue pans and they're like, oh, okay. The thigh bone touched the breastbone. That must mean the price of Bitcoin is going to go. I know people do that. Um, it's stupid. And uh, I think there's a justification for using a logarithmic scale on the y-axis and estimating growth logarithmically because exponential growth is a part of how like yeah. you usually model growth at least in terms of like epidemics and stuff like that and ecology mm-hmm. so that's why they tend to use it well i mean growth models tend to use exponentials for growth and decay mm. so i'd imagine economics has similar types of things i don't know economic models for projecting price growth Mm. well now you do it's called rainbow road apparently <laughs> ripple ripple degenerate has also said he also says that athletes will want to get their contracts in bitcoin which has already happened yeah but well, if you notice right now trend, I, right <laughs> if you notice that trend it's it's not exactly athletes that can not they can afford to take their contract in bitcoin like tom brady yeah is their a, first year in millions and then they take the rest in bitcoin that's not a bad deal yeah they're like yeah i'll take it in bitcoin why not right so like tom brady took his pay in bitcoin last year but tom brady's also been in the nfl longer than anyone should ever be in the nfl and he's worth a lot of money so he was like oh what's that more money i don't need yeah i'll take it however give it to me in skittles i don't give a fuck like like he doesn't care Oh, hey, 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 it's it's okay. You heard it here first. 18 minutes in. Cut that shit out. Yeah, please cut that out. Uh, uh, Alicia, that's, that's not good. So anyways, let's get to some other crypto news. I want to get into something that actually makes Jesse sit up perky in his chair. Right. And that's something that we never really we've always shied away from getting into the technicals on this show because why not? But I think we're moving into an arena where fuck a why not? Let's talk about the stuff that nobody wants to talk about. And that is what is like the nitty gritty difference between proof of work and proof of stake. So these people listening to our show, I know we've done this in the past. We compared them in the past, but we've done it like not uh, in not granularly. Right. And I want to done a pretty granular thing. Hey, just give me a second. I'm going to tell these dogs. I've gone granular a couple times. Y'all do y'all's thing. I got to kick these dogs out of here. Hmm. Teach me something I don't know. I mean, I don't know know a lot. (laughs) (laughs) Teach me about DHT tables and how discovery mechanisms are useful for finding peers. Distributed hash tables? That's yeah. a little that's a little weedy. 
for right now. Like even like proof of work take is, is probably a more reasonable thing to talk about than distributed <laughs> hash tables. Damn it. All right, where well, where do you want to take it? What do you want to talk about? We can talk about. Proof All right, what up? He wants to hear about proof of work, proof of stake, but like I've said, Hold on, what do you guys want to talk about? He asked me about <laughs> distributed hash tables, which is probably a little too in the weeds. Is it though? Why not distribute? Yeah. So, if, uh, can I guess what a distributed hash table is? Yeah. <laughs> okay. The rows are hashes and the columns are hashes. Okay. That's, I never really kind of looked it up, but that's okay. He's shaking his head already. Okay. Next guess. The rows are identifiers to hash and the columns are separate identifiers to the same hash. I don't know. What are you talking about? Like, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to figure it out by using like context clues, man. Like stick, stick with me now. All right. So, so if each cell of the table is a hash, then what's identifying you to get, okay, let's just take a table. Let's take a multiplication table. If what's a hash four, table? First off, what's a hash table? That's what I'm trying to guess, bro. I don't okay. know, but I'm trying to guess, you know, I'm trying to, you know, this is where, this is the path of learning here. Hash table. If I had to guess, a hash table is obviously a table of hashes. But the rows have identifiers and the columns have separate identifiers to allow you to go, okay, that's one thing and that's another thing. And then if I trace them, this is the hash that I need. No. Okay. What is a hash table then? Because that's a very that's a terribly not intuitive name. So a hash table is a content addressed table. So it's a key value store where the hash is the key to the content. So you take a piece of content, you hash it, that becomes the key in the table. So like it's, it's, for, it's for looking things up. If you know the content or the hash, you can look it up. Yeah, like a table. So IPFS, is, IPFS is technically a distributed hash table. The DHT is, a, is, is the way you distribute that across a network and then how you find... And how you find information across that thing. So like you can have these massive things that have like key value stores that are, have an efficient way of looking things up because you know the content and you know the key. You can ask ask a network for a piece of content, and then if they don't have it, there's methods for searching a distributed hash table that are efficient for like I don't have it, but I know how to get it from my nearest neighbors. Mm-hmm. Based on this lookup metric or like nearest neighbor metric of of closeness which has nothing to do with like geographic closeness of peers. It has to do with like um, the arbitrary metric for closeness for most DHTs like Kademlia, which is a inter- imp- implementation of distributed hash table is you XOR the content. Uh, there's a way of XORing it. So like basically you have this metric for you closeness. You XOR hashes? Yeah. You XOR the hash of the content or do you XOR so the implementations? Right Can now. we slow down for a second? So like right now, you use these things as like um peer discovery in a network. So like if you're if you're if you're you know joining the you know the Bitcoin network, the Ethereum network, you need to find a, a nodes that are reasonable to join. So you use a distributed hash table to find out closest peers to you and by close it's not geographic it's just closest to what your node id is now do you remember how the closest is calculated is that the so it's, it's, a, it's a way of like figuring out identifiers to search for closest peers and then joining a network and something like that's so like you use for, for discovery the, a lot 
the the logical operation of XORing what two things? Yeah, there we go. In order to look up the value associated with a given key, hmm. the algorithm explores the network in several steps. Each step will find nodes that are closer to the key until the con con contacted node returns the value or no more closer nodes are found. This is very efficient. Like many other DHTs, this is, this is for Kademlia, which is an implementation. Like many other DHTs, Kademlia contacts only O log N, which is a like order of log N nodes during a search out of a total of N nodes. So like if you have N nodes that you have a, a distributed piece of data across, you only have to query a few nodes to get to any piece of data. So it's a very fast way, efficient way of looking up any piece of data in a very large data set. Interesting. Now, I'm going to try to break this down for my own learning here. Usually when I'm handed a table, I'm also handed a set of instructions. It says this is how you use the table, right? So for example, uh, Chilton Auto Books. I don't know if you guys know those. Back in the day, they were popular when you could work on your own car. There were all kinds of tables in there because manufacturers built all kinds of fasteners and all kinds of engines. And you look at the table and it would be like, okay, uh, I have a Toyota Celica and it's year 87. So the bolts that were used were this one. So I need this kind of ratchet, right? It was a table. What does a hash table I know I'm probably not, not a human's not using it. A computer is using it, but what does, what instructions is the computer given on how to use the table? What's it for? That the key to any piece of content is its hash. Okay. And a hash is, is a random characters. It's you're talking cryptography. Oh, you, know what, you know what a hash is? Isn't it like a function? It's a cryptographic a hash function, function that, so if, that if creates you a hash. Any piece of data. You get a same like length. Concept, you get you get a yeah. what you do is take a piece of data. It doesn't matter what length it is. Yes. It's just like you know a file that you wrote, a, a, you know, some file on your computer. What doesn't matter, right? Yes. And you hash it with a hash function. There's a bunch of different types of hash functions. Don't worry about that. Very true. And the result that you get is a fixed length piece of data. Yes. And this is usually like what would be considered like garbage like it, it looks random it looks like it's just a random fixed link piece of data right mm -hmm. and that is what would be could be known as a fingerprint of the data and so for a hash table you use the hash of a given piece of data as the key in the table so it's just a, it's there are only two columns one is the key the other is the value the value is the data the key is the hash of that data they so usually start in like store content address storage do so if I use have dynamic? content, you know what the key is to look it up. <laughs> What'd you say? Got it. So it's like it's like Dewey Decimal for shit stuff. Yeah, it's, a, it's, it's an like easy way to coded Dewey Decimal, and then you distribute it so that multiple parties, as long as they know certain parts, could find their way to the content. I want to say that IPFS uses Cadenia. Man, they don't even teach the Dewey Decimal System to kids anymore. Like, anymore. holy cow, dude. Yeah, it may have switched. There's a bunch of different discovery mechanisms now um, that people can use, but the majority of most peer-to-peer -peer networks use Kademlia because it's an efficient way to search a bunch of nodes who hold pieces of a large data set. But it has some privacy issues. So, like, you always know what 
data a given IP has based on how it returns. It's like if you're watching network tracker, if you like do forensics on network traffic, you can see what what nodes in the network hold what pieces of data. And that's a privacy concern. So like there are they're working on new ways of doing discovery such that you can query the you can query the network for a piece of data, get something back without exposing who holds what. Hmm. Can you imagine that the librarian used to be Google? Like you'd walk into a library and be like, hey, where's that book? And they'll be like, oh, that's the B7 723.55. And you're like, thank you. And you go, you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah, it's very, very <laughs> sectioned pieces of Google. Who made himself a librarian? Yeah. Okay, Jesse, why were you wanting to talk about distributed hash tables? He's learning about them. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I see. I For see. messaging. Yeah. So the reason why I wanted to talk about POW versus POS is because POW POS is because obviously it's a very subtle nuance that almost no one is going to understand. Right. And so, you know, when you say, I, I've gotten a question as recently as this week, they're like, hey, you know, do you mind? I'm like, not really, but kind of like, what do you mean? And I'm <laughs> like, well, we validate. And they're like, is that mining? And I'm like, not really, but kind of like, that's pretty <laughs> much like, that's, that's kind of my response to them. And like, they're like, well, can you go into detail? And I'm like, well, why? And they're like, oh, I just want to know. I read it on the website. And that's when I know now I'm wise enough to say, keep reading it on my website. I'm not going to keep talking to you. Right. Like, I'll just kind of go <laughs> the other direction. But well, see, like the, the main thing that people don't get and misunderstand about what proof of work and proof of stake are is that they're anti-Sybil mechanisms. And what that means... Sybil was a great show in the 80s, by the way. That means that you can't... It, it's difficult to pretend to be more than one person on a network and have any, and have any like, weight. Does people know why that's important? Yeah. So you can't like be one person, spin up a bunch of fake people and collude to alter the results of what people are trying to do. Mm -hmm. Right. You need to have a, you need to have a, a method that is resilient to that type of attack so that people can't try and, you know, force their way by making a bunch of fake identities. So proof of work does this by forcing you to commit pre-commit a bunch of computational power by doing this hashing algorithm and trying to, you know, solve this basically incredibly massive Sudoku that is probabilistic in time. So like if you do it, if you, if you hash a certain amount of times there, you're statistically likely to get the answer within 10 minutes or depending on how much hashing you have. Right. And so that forces people to submit a bunch of real world energy in order to have a seat at the table to say, I'm adding things to the Bitcoin blockchain. That's proof of work and how Bitcoin uses it. Right. So, and so how you do that hashing is dependent upon the network and the timing and things like that are all dependent upon the network for Bitcoin. It's 10 minutes. Hashing is the shot 256 uh, proof of stake. On the other hand, doesn't take an external resource and pre-commit it to try and get a seat at the table to, to add to the, the blockchain. It uses the assets on the blockchain and locks them up and says, I've locked up this amount of token to participate 
in a distributed consensus algorithm that has a way of selecting who gets to add stuff to the blockchain and we all vote on these things. That consensus algorithm, the, 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 the rounds in which people participate to add things to the blockchain is also differentiated across a bunch of different blockchains. So that's not necessarily always the case. So like when you think about proof of stake, it's you're using internal resources to participate in consensus. For proof of work, you're using external resources to participate in adding to the blockchain. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking? Then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack, where the people there don't suck, or at least their jobs don't. So, in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another one of the Bitcoin podcast interviews. I'm really excited about this interview uh, because I've listened to uh, Mr. Reggie Middleton uh, speak on macroeconomics and crypto and just all sorts of great, uh, knowledgeable opinions since I got into the space back in 2012, 2013. I've been hearing you speak about Bitcoin and how it's affected by other markets and one of the talks that I remember that was awesome is you talked about how banks are going to have to cannibalize their own services to, to keep up with how fast crypto moves. And I was like, that makes a lot of sense. But anyways, I don't want to, I don't want to ramble. Welcome to the show, Mr. Middleton. How are you? Thank you very much. And just, you know, my father's Mr. Middleton. Um, I go by Reggie or anything polite, but you know. Awesome. I believe everyone wants to know, do you do any voice acting on the side? Because your voice is like, I feel like it's powerful. Every time I'm like, God, this guy's like James Earl Jones. I, I yell at my kids. So <laughs> <laughs> that makes sense. Well, I think, I guess I could start really generally. Um, I don't want to ask what we typically ask, which is like, how did you get into crypto? Da, da, da. Uh, because I think the audience can go research that and they can figure that out on their own. I kind of want to get to the meat of it, right? We're obviously, um, this is one of the larger uh, downturns in crypto sentiment, price, all the above since I've been in it. Um, and it's really, I don't want to do any like, uh, you know, high in the sky, let's look in the stars and figure out what's going on with the market. But I would like to hear if you have any uh, knowledgeable opinions as to what could be causing these, what you said right before we got it feels like there's bubbles everywhere. Right. So where does where does this point us, given your experience to go at when the dust finally settles? Oh, that, that sounded like a compound question. So um, it is. OK, so let's <laughs> let's let's break it into pieces and tranches in one slice at a time. So I guess part one is what is the cause of the downturn that be? A valid yeah if you, if you could you know try i know that's kind of like you know contributing factors to the downturn maybe yeah. well yeah. i think that there's one obvious one there's two obvious one um not obvious there's two there's two obvious factors um one you realize that the bitcoin prices are cyclical you know you have big booms big, big busts um and that's been the case since i've been in it since 2013. um it's exacerbated this time because you have many more actors um, into the space and uh, a large uh, material 
for us coming from these actors are the Wall Street, the professional investors. Um, as a professional investors pour money in, you if you take a look at the prices, you see there's a very uh, tight correlation between the digital assets, the popular digital assets, Ethereum, Bitcoin, et cetera, and the more traditional assets, uh, stocks, uh, stock derivatives, bonds, et cetera. This correlation didn't exist in the beginning. And the reason was because they're not correlated. There's very little, you know, very little similarities between Bitcoin, or at least Bitcoin as it was originally intended in the white paper, Ethereum and IBM stock, the S&P 500, et cetera. But when you have a bunch of investors or capital in, they all think the same way. Um, they all follow pretty much the same rules. And then they have a drawdown and they have a reason to pull money out of crypto, particularly if you had a significant gain in crypto. That causes sell action. The sell action causes downward pressure on the price and the price goes down. Um, that correlation is synthetic and artificial from my perspective because um, my one of my uh, lead developers, engineers, smart developer, smart engineering guy, um, but he's a developer, he's not a finance guy. He says, so why should crypto go down when inflation goes up? And I said, it shouldn't. He says, I didn't think so. But if you listen to the mainstream media and a lot of the smart pundits, whether crypto or otherwise, um, they're saying there's some type of pressure due to increase inflation, increase in inflation, and that's ridiculous. You know, if anything, if the crypto currencies, the actual currencies are doing as anticipated, they should benefit from inflation because of fiat currencies, which get hit by inflation. And then the solution for the hit is usually more inflation. Um, they benefit relative to fiats when pricing fiats. But all that has been erased because you have an increase in correlation because a bunch of the people who just like to see the prices go up and down and chase the movement are into crypto. So the fundamentals are not applying. So those are the two reasons. Um, historical cyclicality and an increase in correlation with traditional assets because you have, you know, the traditional asset mindset coming in. So that's an extended answer for tranche one. And I've been talking so long, I forgot the second part of your compound question. So help me out. <laughs> um, it was more so like, what does it look like when the dust settles? But I think that's kind of hard to predict, given what you just said. Is like the fundamentals have changed. Um, well, the, the fundamentals haven't changed. Sorry. The, the investor base changed. The fundamentals are what they are. You know, and that's an important point because uh, a lot of people come in and you know say the fundamentals have changed. And if they have, they have. But two plus two still equals four today, as it did you know five years ago. So. Um, as for where things settle out, I have, I won't call it a prediction, but observations on the present and uh, as being analyzed with a student from the past, because I like to study things, so it doesn't mean I'm right about it. Um, we're going to see a lot of feelings get hurt as intellectual property right holders start exercising their rights. Um, patent holders, trademark holders, um, possibly in count and copyright holders. The reason is because the ethos, the mentality of the cyberpunk early developers in the crypto space were generally, from what I've ascertained, anti-IP, um, anti-IP protection, et cetera. 
And, you know, not trying to debate that because I'm not now, but that's whether here or there. You know, the courts and the law of the land are not, you know, and they're very strict and very firm patent copyright and trademark laws in the U.S. As a matter of fact, every significant economy you have has significant intellectual property laws. And there's a very tight correlation between the more successful a country is economically and how tight their intellectual property laws are. You know, the largest intellectual property office in the world is USPTO, which sits in the United States, which is the world's largest economy. Number two is China with the SIPO. Number two, they're very, they're very, very prolific. Number three is Japan, allegedly one of the best run intellectual property offices in the world. And go down the list, the UK, the European Union, et cetera. Not necessarily a big fan of the way they do business, but there's a tight correlation. So you don't necessarily have to like IP or believe it's suitable for software or anything else, but your opinion means very, very little in a court of law. I agree with this. And I think before going into this intellectual property conversation, which I really do want to, I want to ask is, do you think, do you find it ironic or interesting that um, what was originally I would say proclaimed as a asset to put in your portfolio because it is uncorrelated has become so correlated. Well, it's by the, by the nature of doing it, right? It, it's ironic, but what most people are putting in their portfolio is not the asset that was uh, supposed to be autonomous, mm -hmm. uh, like Bitcoin. Mm -hmm. You know, read the Bitcoin white right. paper yeah. and then take a look at Bitcoin. You're not going to see the same thing. No. Okay? Um, Bitcoin is not peer-to-peer, peer-to-peer uh, um, internet cash. It's not, you know, um, it's an investment um, vehicle. Can I ask something, Reggie? Is crypto yeah, like... Yes, I can barely hear you. So can you speak up or come closer to Yeah, mind? yeah. Uh, how about now? That's much better. All right. So <laughs> macro, macroeconomically, isn't crypto just overflow for tech equity stocks across the board globally? I don't or no? think so. No. Okay. Uh, crypto is uh, a database-driven computer code. No, from a from a from a from a hedge fund standpoint, like money was injected at such a scale that dwarfed the previous bull runs. Right. Every every like let's say 2017, 2018. After that ended, right, money came in back back into the system that was probably not. It was probably not retail, right? Let's let's just say that, right? Okay. Can we can we assume that that was mostly those those large hedge fund or those large, you know, uh, VC groups? I don't know arms of like even larger entities financially. Can we assume that like crypto at this point, in terms of like um, the percentage of people invested in crypto, the money that's on the table now is not retail. It's primarily like. I don't know, professional? Well, I think it's an admixture and the okay. retail admixture is shrinking. So that's not to say there's not more retail people investing. There are a lot more retail people investing, but as a proportion of the whole, I think you're correct. There is more professional money coming in. But if you take a look at it, there's not more money going into a new space than normal. Nominally there is, yeah. but there's printed so much more money that of course is going to look at it. If you take it from a real perspective, it's about the same as every other paradigm shift and bubble. Um, from the 2000s, the dot-com, you know, 
on down the line. Um, and large funds have not gotten into it yet. If they do, you're going to see a big difference because they held trillions of dollars versus billions of dollars. Um, a lot of this money came in as venture capital firms, partners of these firms, and the small and medium-sized hedge funds, I think. Um, but when the big money comes in, you're not going to be able to miss it because you're going to put a lot of money into a small doorway. So, And that big money has been extremely foolish, in my opinion, or imprudent in their lack of due diligence for things such as IP. If you look at any other industry, um, uh, you have a venture capital firm, they want to put money into a, uh, a semiconductor fan. They do significant due diligence on IP. They want to make sure that the guys that they're investing in actually own the IP that they're claiming to make these chips. And they're not going to just take their word for it and throw money at them. They're like, produce a patent. Let's do a patent search. Make sure we don't get caught out there after we put the money in. Same thing with biopharmaceutical companies or any other technologically driven industry. Crypto is about the most technologically driven industry you could think of. Nobody does IP search. Nobody cares about it. As a matter of fact, they do the opposite. We don't believe in patents. And again, it's irrelevant what you believe in. It's what the judge and jury believe in and what the law says. Mm. So That's like very a good portion of this, like, like you've mentioned, like the, the mentality, early mentality of crypto and a good portion of it still is this cypherpunk um, non-copyright. Like we don't go for patents. And if we do, they're mostly protective, these types of things. And because uh, institutional investors lack the vehicles of their due diligence, which is doing a patent search and looking for these traditional methods for understanding risk, that they're not entering into the space. Or they're not well, ready to because they can't do the due diligence they're they're accustomed to. Well, I, I disagree on two points. Number one, um, if you get a patent just for defensive purposes, then you've got a patent. <laughs> so, you know, yep. um, it can be held in such a way where it can be, it's it's more difficult to use in an aggressive manner. What's aggressive? If I, if, uh, if I decide, if I decide you invent um, white ties, okay. And the gold that match with any suit because white is a universal color, let's say. And then I decide to sell white ties. If you ask me to stop and threaten me with patent action, is that an aggressive manner or a defensive manner or offensive? If a patent is gotten and held in such a way where it's it, in an organization that will never use it, it's only gotten so that others can't get it and use it or for filing purposes so that others people can't file, file for it because it wasn't filed for to use it for patent trolling purposes or something. That would be an example. Okay. So suppose I just sell your product. Are you going to, are you going to use your patent or are you just going to let it sit there? Oh, under the guise of an organization like that, you would just let it sit there. Okay. So then what's the purpose of getting a patent then? So that others can't file for it and use it against you. But you see, here's, here's I'm, not, I'm, I'm ignorant in this scenario, so I'm just I'm asking if this is even a reasonable thing to talk about. Like, no, no, I, I think it is because I, I want to talk through this because I think there's a uh, not a legal misunderstanding, just I think a common sense logical misunderstanding. If you spend twenty million dollars to develop your white ties, okay, you want to recoup your twenty million dollars and hopefully make a profit. If I just take your white ties and start selling it. Am I hurting you? Yes. In my opinion, yes. What's the other two opinions? I'm curious. Under this example. If I take, if I, if, if I, you have a hit, I know it's real estate is very easy for everybody to understand. So you're sitting in your house, you just purchased a house with your wife 
and you're a young child, you finally have a three bedroom house, you've moved out of your one bedroom apartment. And then I move in with two of my friends, they're homeboys, we just go in, we kick up shop, we um, take over your room, we rent out one of the rooms. Okay. If you ask us to pay rent or leave, would that be aggressive or defensive or neither? I think this is a straw man example. <laughs> I mean, now, 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 this is interesting because obviously well, on, I, I I've done this before, right? It's a straw man example when we're using a property that you own, but if you're losing someone else's property, it would be uh, more immutable. And I'm not, this is not personal, so I'm not aiming at this personal. Yeah, I understand that, yeah. Yeah, it's just that it's much easier to understand the um, positive attributes of property protection when it's your property we're talking about being protected. When it's someone else's property, we don't need to use it. You know, it's aggressive if you try and protect your property, et cetera. But according to the Constitution, everybody's due ownership and protection of their property. And so protecting your property is not an aggressive action. And if it isn't, then where do you live? I plan on coming by right now. Well, not I'm next week. I'm curious about how it's, <laughs> how it's used in the context of what would, could be considered a public good, right? So like, who gets to own a public good? And like, it's, 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 it's easy to reason about the assets that live on a public good, but not necessarily the, the infrastructure that runs the public good itself. And it's like, like a lot of house. people like to think that these things are should be free to use for anyone who would like to use them. And since these, this technology is strictly community-based, there's no price to Bitcoin unless there's a community of people that agree on that. Who gets to own the technology that builds Bitcoin? Okay, so if your house is built on communal land, that means I get to move in and rent it out to others? No. But okay, well, you agree, we're in full agreement then. You see, we're in full agreement. But the reason you're agreeing with me is because we're using your house as the subject of the conversation. I think, I'm guessing, I can't be, you know. But when I've had I this conversation the with of others. property is very muddy here, right? Because, like, I don't think owns- it's muddy. Personal property. Patents are personal property, just like your house. So, what about the patents that build a technology for Bitcoin? What patents are you referring to? I have a, I have a question. What if that works on Like, right, we don't, we, for instance, here's an example. We didn't use snore signatures in the beginning of building Bitcoin because there was a patent associated with it. Okay. Instead, we used ECDFSA, which, which was free to use or more okay. permissive to use. Okay. And because of that, we were able to grow Bitcoin and not be under the, uh, ostensibly be sued and Bitcoin never grow because it was being used by, it was using a technology that, that was under patent. Right. Well, I don't really, usually you get sued for using patented property when you use it without the patent, without the patent holder's permission. You don't get sued um, as a function of using something. You get sued as a function of using something without permission and without compensation. I'm a patent holder. I'm not out to sue anybody, but I'm, out, I'm also not out for people to take things from me. So the networks, it's just basic property law and not law economics as i see it um i the argument that i've heard that patents and intellectual property protections um slow innovation does not match reality in the beginning of this conversation i went through the top four economies in the world and in reducing order each and every one of them have the top four uh strongest and largest patent offices that's not a coincidence 
And if it was, it's hard to get a coincidence four times over. And the reason is because strong property protections are the cornerstones of capitalism. Hmm. I have a question. So, like, what if so? What prevented someone from like just copying Bitcoin and then patenting it and then just like bodying the whole industry? Like, what That's prevents that? Yeah, you can't patent something already. A patent is the right to sue somebody who takes your property. So if you copy Bitcoin, it's not your property, so gotcha. you can't patent it. So he, like, if I go to his house and I just move in, I can move in, I can rent it out, and I can put my dirty feet on a dinner table, but it's not mine. I'm doing it illegally, but I can still do it. But he has a right to sue me or other things to me um, because it's his property. So also no matter what I do, I can't say it's my property because it's not. It's his property. And for the things that like you do build, if you use like open and permissive licensing, there's clauses in those licenses that whatever you build off of them has to maintain that license. And in a lot of and that, a lot of the things that people use, it's it's guaranteeing that like the stuff built on top carries this permissiveness and openness. Which is the exact same tenet of patenting. That is an aggressive use of intellectual property rights because you're telling somebody what they can or cannot do with your property by saying you have to include this um, copyright or you have to, whatever you build on top of this has to be open to the community. If you're forcing somebody to act in a certain way, you're aggressively using your intellectual property rights. And using the same system to enforce it. Right, so and that's why I did a tweet earlier saying that you cannot be in favor of open source software licenses and say you're not in favor of intellectual property protections. Because an open source license is intellectual property protection by definition. And, you know, I'm, I don't look at any of it as good or bad. Um, I am probably, I'm the, uh, the low man on the totem pole. Uh, I'm the uh, David in the David Goliath battle. Um, I don't have hundreds of billions of dollars of capitalization. I'm socioeconomic minority. I'm the racial minority. I am, I'm not invited to uh, the club. I'm not a member of the club, um, but I own the deed to the clubhouse. And that ability to own that property allows me to force myself to the table. Without the intellectual property protections, I would be ass out. So you're saying this system has given you a leg up, whereas in otherwise you wouldn't have had one. If the system has given me a, a, the ability to attempt to claim ownership of the property that I have by recognizing the ownership of the property and giving me the right to force others to the table. Without that, then the big VCs who chose not to fund me or the big tech companies or the big finance companies would roll right over me. You really think they'll say, you know, Reggie, I know you invented this. You're, you're a nice guy. Come on, we're going to give you your 30, 40% cut, which you belong, which you deserve. Is that what JP Morgan is going to say to me? I doubt so. Mm. No, I don't think they'll say that at all. Uh, <laughs> really? That's just, that's just my that's a shocker. <laughs> um, so you you've been coined as and you coined yourself as the 2013 founder of DeFi. That's got actually of- somebody else did that, but I just keep running it. It sounds good. So. <laughs> that's a powerful. I mean, DeFi is no, you know, it's not a small cookie right now. It's a big cookie cake. Everybody loves mm-hmm. DeFi. Even though I think maybe like half a percent 
of the people that say they love it actually understand it. I still try to understand it to this day. Like I've tried to explain impermeable losses to someone and it looked like their brain melted out. And so I just stopped. Losses. Impermanent losses. Sorry, yeah. not impermeable. That's like membranes. All right, impermanent mm-hmm. losses. So uh, who said that and why do you believe that they gave you that moniker? Not um, we don't want to name drop, but why why that moniker? What were they speaking to and like why did you get that? I, I believe they see, and I don't disagree with them, that I'm the first one to publicly display um, the financial concepts and working product and the financial engineering linkages behind peer-to-peer capital markets, which is what I actually I feel I invented. So DeFi is a subset of peer-to-peer capital markets, which is a superset of everything else. And um, Basically, it's the ability to autonomously hold and transfer value um, contingent upon something else. And that is what makes what I invented different from Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, which is existed before I, I filed the patent, before I even got into the industry, allowed is a peer-to-peer internet money system or currency system that allows you to send value from A to B. So my invention allowed you to send value from A to B conditionally and without the need of an authoritative third party, which can be plugged in optionally, but is not needed. And it also does it by minimizing some kind of party and credit risk. So you so have like a patent on Uniswap before Uniswap was a thing? Yeah, Uniswap was launched in 2018. I think they started working on it in 2017 and I did this in 2013. So to give you, give you a... A timeline. Yeah. Um, I came up with the idea in 2013. As a matter of fact, the, the second I read the Bitcoin Wiki, not the second, but within 15 minutes of reading the Bitcoin Wiki and the Bitcoin white paper, it popped directly in my head. I'm a finance guy and strong on valuation and financial engineering. And when I read that, the first thing I saw was the blockchain is the ultimate common counterparty. And scripting, you can program transactions. You can't beat that. You know, I thought maybe I was late to the party because if that's capable, why isn't everybody in doing this? As it turned out, I was actually rather early to the party. So we created a peer-to-peer swap. Uh, the first one settled December of 2013. And um, we polished it, created a functional rel- a bug-free beta, relatively for beta, and just put it out for public use for everybody to swap on it. And we filed uh, patent applications in 2000, early 2014. What's um, the difference like in, in, um, in like swap mechanisms between what you guys made and then what Uniswap does? Um, what well, Uniswap, to get in details, Uniswap uses a liquidity pool. So it uses a smart contract, you send assets to it, and assets are then taken out um, by another party. So I could go through it, but I think it might be unnecessarily detailed in the woods in a week. We are almost hashing it out. Can we bring you back again for the end of, in the woods conversation oh. another time? <laughs> so just to fill you in, uh, Reggie, we have another show that we're launching. This one will be closing shortly, so you got right in at a good time. Uh, but we have another show where we are getting into the weeds and getting into okay. the details of these mechanisms and things like that. But you're right. Maybe we'll, we'll save it for that show. Yeah, uh, okay. because that that's the kind of audience that that's for. Yeah. Well, to make it real simple, it's in the name. Uniswap is a swap. Okay, what we did basically a swap is a subset uh, subset of what we created. 
So swaps through the blockchain are one of the things that we created. Uniswap does it. Um, I'm going to give you a quick chronology. So um, we filed, we, I created it, recreated it in 2013, filed for patent application, protect, patent protection in 2014 in May, April initially, and then May. Um, at the same time, Bancor did an ICO, uh, Israeli company. They came up with a pricing algorithm very similar to what Uniswap um, used. That pricing algorithm, if applied for the transfer of value, would have infringed on our patent, in my opinion. Okay? I'm saying this for legal reasons, in my opinion. Okay? Bancor raised a decent amount of money, like $150 million, but received but so much penetration to the market. Uh, a guy from Brooklyn, a lot of, a lot of these guys are from Brooklyn, came in, um, fought Bancor, made a couple of changes, okay, and then came up with Uniswap. Uniswap was fought by this guy named Nomi Chef, right? Simply hit a fork, took the code, came up with SushiSwap, took about 55% of Uniswap's liquidity, right? SushiSwap was observed and then fought by these guys that created PancakeSwap and took that liquidity and brought it over the Binance chain. Now, if Bancor's original concept infringed, well, then Uniswap infringes, and then SushiSwap infringes, and then PancakeSwap infringes. So it's not like the patent is massively covering everything. It's that there's not a lot, there's not nearly as much individual unique thinking in the industry as most people um, believe. The fact that it is open source means people are quick to hit for, but very, very slow to do IP due diligence, to actually test the code out to see how robust it is, to see if there's a better way of doing it from a financial engineering perspective, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, that's a weakness that permeates to the industry. But it's very good for us because if you want a lot of people to use IP, that's the best way to get it done. Just everybody's fork, everybody else. Just make sure that original fork project um, so, is sitting within our IP. There's a, so there's a cycle that I've noticed that I've never really expressed out loud, but it seems like this is the cycle in crypto. Whenever you get these booms is you get um, somebody uses this recipe for success. Copy, paste, profit, run. Do you see... <laughs> Do you see an end to that? Because I feel like that's the cookbook right now. Every I, This is like my third super cycle now. And it's just, like you said, Uniswap, then Sushi Swap, then Pancake Swap, then let's just call it Mustard Swap. I don't know. Copy, paste, profit, take off. Right? Well, there's this infringement swap, um, which is going to hurt. Uh, <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, and, and I say that, I don't want to seem like I'm... I'm the opposite of that. I can't stand litigation. I've been trying to talk to people in the industry for well over a year. Um, personally, I don't think there are a lot of grown-ups in the industry. They're more coming in, but they have a very dogmatic ideology, which I think is not practical business. But that's my personal opinion. There's two other patent holders. Um, Total Return Systems, which um, has a patent over the use of a centralized data for a store or Oracle for um, decentralized projects. So if you're doing business between layer one and layer two, there's a good chance at volume, there's a good chance that you may trip one of those claims. Um, Uniswap and uh, no Compound DAO, Compound and MakerDAO have been approached and potentially served by them. And they put out the full claims analysis in public for everybody to see. And so, and the uh, legal motion is there as well, the order to show cause 
it's there right on the website. Do a, a search for total return systems, make a DAO, and, and compound DAO. And it's what it does is the patent is not sloppy. Um, I don't see too many weaknesses in that. I didn't go through it in full detail. But what this does is it's piercing the bubble. And that patent is the mere microcosm of what I think our patent technology is. I think of our patent as foundational technology because it covers wide swaths of entire blockchains. But what he did is very specific, but it hits right to the core of what a lot of guys are doing. And everybody's doing it because they just copied the other guy. There's not much original thought. These investors are getting sued. And he's not suing them due to contributory infringement or induced infringement. He's suing them because the investors invented, invested through a DAO, okay? And the DAO, um, in the return for the investment, they got governance tokens, which allows them to vote on projects, and they're looking to get a return on capital. What does that sound like to you? Put money into a project as a group, right? Expect a return on that investment and have the ability to vote on corporate affairs. Sounds like, Sounds a, like a common stock, right? Yep. And if anybody has any anathema towards the SEC and their enforcement arm, it would be me. Okay. I think they're overzealous to put it nicely. But if it walks like a duck and quacks like a duck, um, quacks like a duck, it's probably not a platypus. So they put this money in, right, with the expectations of return and they can vote on it. But this is not about whether it's an investment or not. This is about the risk return ratio for the investment because a DAO, doesn't have a corporate form. There's no legal liability limitation. So if they get it through an LLC, right? The LLC stands for limited liability company. Their liability is limited to whatever they put in. If it was a corporation or an LLP or any of a variety of forms of corporate entities. But as a DAO, which is supposedly decentralized and doesn't adhere to the laws of the land, if this were to go to court, there's a very strong chance that the courts would say, well, I don't know what a DAO is and digital autonomous. I don't follow that. But what you just formed was a general partnership. And a general partnership has no legal liability limitations. And that means that each member of that partnership, each member of that DAO is jointly and severally liable for the liabilities of the operation. Jointly means there's four of us here and we formed a DAO. All four of us are liable for whatever um, happens in that DAO. And severally, all four of us separately are also liable. So three of you guys are much wealthier than I am. So three of you put in $10 million each, and I put in $1. We find out that um, StreamYard DAO um, um, infringed on XYZ patent. They were notified of it, they ignored it, and they continued to infringe, and they're making $300 million a quarter, a lot. So that's $1.2 billion a year. They end up going to court, they find out that not only is there infringement, but they willfully infringe by ignoring notice. So now treble damages, up to treble damages come into play. Let's call it treble to make it easy. So out of that $1.2 billion, they would owe roughly, off the top of my head, say $300 million annually. They did it for two years, so that's $600 million times three, $1.8 billion. I invested 45 cents, I'm on a hook for $1.8 billion as an individual. Why? Because I went in as a journal or a limited partner. 
instead of going in the corporation where I could lose 100% of my 45 cents, but there's a ring around it. Now, I'm just open. Does that sound like a good investment to you? It doesn't the way you explained it, so is that. It doesn't the way you explained it. It doesn't sound good at all. So what, so then, So then the goal is to just get it so damn decentralized that everybody's risk is minimal, but that's not possible because the pot keeps getting bigger. No, the goal, the goal is to try and get what people would consider antiquated models for building organizations to adapt themselves to a new technology. That's going to take a long time. That's you a fair The court's going to say, I don't know what the hell all that means, but I know what I have in front of me and the precedents we've always had. So let's move with that. This That's exactly what like a that. judge would let's say. I can tell you that. You get in front of a 72-year-old judge yeah. and try to him if you want to. Good luck to you, dude. Um, but it doesn't take that long. You, you could go to Wyoming right now, and Wyoming has customized the LLC laws specifically for that. Mm. And if I'm not mistaken, I think Delaware has done it. That was actually relatively quick. Does Denver have them too? I'm not aware. I'm not see. I'm not a lawyer, but I just I keep abreast of things. But it's hard to know everything. Um, the problem is problem not. <laughs> yeah, the biggest problem is there are not a lot of grown-ups in the space on the operational <laughs> side. And I'm I'm being honest because oh, he's talking, this is a nice city. My experience, right well. kid can't yeah. afford this city. And and, <laughs> and the investors know better, and they are grown-ups, and. Either I am missing something or they've put a lot of their limited partners at risk. You know, the the third patent holder, there's total return systems. And then there's also um, the very popular guy from Enchain, Craig Wright. Okay. Hate him, love him, whether he's Satoshi Nakamoto or not. I never really understood the big interest in it. Who cares? <laughs> you know, right? The guy has 53 issue patents. Most of them are staunch and minutiae, in my opinion. You know, don't really mean a lot, but there's one, maybe two, that have some teeth to it. Um, here's a patent that looks like it covers tokenization, which means if it does, then a lot of these stable coins are going to fall under it. That's so I still nuts. Think that's some dude trying to like write something. It's kind of the goal of patent there. trolling, isn't it? It's like that's the whole point of patent trolling is to buy things that can be potentially useful and then apply them when they are. But he didn't it's buy it. He created it. He, wait, wait, wait. He's the inventor. You can't call an inventor a patent troll. If anything, okay, get, the people who are that. using it are patent trolls because they didn't invent it. You can't. Wait, I thought like, patent I created is my like system. A, a verb. I can never be called a patent troll. Say it again. The patent trolling is buying patents. Right. Pat, well, no, not necessarily. Patent trolling is buying a patent and then pressing lawsuit in an area where you are not active. You're not an active participant. Yeah, it's, it's okay. but, Right. Now that that's a technical definition of patent trolling, but it's also irrelevant. It's legal. So if you don't like it, go invent your own stuff and do something about it. That's the way I look at it. Um, but you can never. And there, there's a group. I'll get to that. There's a group of very influential people. We're calling entrepreneurs patent trolls because they're trying to defend their invention. That's ridiculous. You cannot steward a 60 or $80 billion company, okay, with hundreds of patents in your own portfolio or dozens. And then when an entrepreneur who invents something, regardless of how likable or unlikable he is, he invents something, he patents it, and then he, or copyrights it or trademarks it, and then he comes after you to ask you to stop using it. He's not the troll. You're the troll. 
right? There's no way in the world you can ethically or legally or practically call an inventor of something a troll if he's trying to exercise rights over his own invention. That's like calling you a trespasser in your own house because I, I want to move in and you're when, in my way. When when you're talking about patents, like, don't you have to, like, if you change a, a pre-existing idea that's been patented a certain amount, then it no longer you is within their right. Right, right. So how do you determine that? It no longer, one second, you sort of talk at the same time. So it no longer what? So, so the idea is, I mean, Corey can, Corey, Corey can elaborate, but the idea is that if you can, if you can iterate on a previously held patent, uh, well enough, can't you create your own patent over that new technology? Yes, but there's nothing wrong with that. So, so no, no, I'm not saying that there is anything wrong with it. So I'm just curious now. So when, when you're saying that, let's say Craig Wright had a patent where he has generically described all stable coins. So like USDC that's created by Circle, the organization, are they going to be, I guess, sued? Can they be sued by Craig Wright because he holds, you know, that generic patent? Okay. Well, here's a couple of things. In the U.S., anybody can sue anybody else. Sure. But if yeah. you do an arbitrary and capricious suit, depending on what state or if it's federal, you risk getting hit pretty hard if you mm. do a you know a nonsense suit. But anybody could buy an index number and sue. So it's just to keep that in mind, um, okay. generic patents generally don't get issued. And I can tell you right now, in the blockchain space, they're never going to issue a generic patent. Okay. Ninety percent of patent blockchain-based patents are rejected. Ninety percent, and that's at the application level. That's not being tested in court. They'll never even make it that way because you don't get a patent. Blockchain patents are very, very um, crucially examined. It took me seven years to get my patents. I have two. It took me seven years to get them issued. Six years for Japan, seven years for the U.S. Okay, so, and they tried very, very hard not to commit a patent. We fought, fought, fought until, you know, we prevailed. Does it cost um, a lot so, of money to do that? It costs okay. a lot of money to do everything. It costs me a lot of money to go shopping. <laughs> Look at the food prices. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. The answer is hell yes, yeah. Jesse. Yeah. And so, and that's another thing. If it costs, if it costs, it took a lot of time, a lot of brain power, a lot of money to invent it, right? And then do a proof of concept and create the code and the program. And then cost even more money or as much money to prosecute the patent. So I put all this money and my time and effort in over, uh, an eight, nine year period. And then someone just comes and uses it for free. And if I attempt to defend myself, I'm called a patent troll or it's the entire concept of, yeah, of entrepreneurialism and capitalism is being turned upside down. Now, the reason is, I can tell you the reason, is because large companies rarely iterate quickly. They, it's hard to maintain that creative fire of entrepreneurism of a small startup or individual when you get large and you're running you know 80 40 60 70 billion dollars a year in revenue 20 30 billion dollars a year in profits or five billion dollars a year in profits very difficult to keep that fire so if you can't build it in-house then you have to take it and that's what they do with patent there's willful infringement with big companies because they say we'll just outspend the little guy Okay, and that's why the punitive mm -hmm. damages came into play to try and put a cost on someone who does that. So that's why they create the patent, the patent troll um, boogeyman for individuals who are just protecting their own, you know, um, property. Now, 
I've been talking a long time and I had a point and I forgot what it was. But if any of you could remind me what I was going look like I was gonna lead up to say, I'd like to finish it. But um that's it in a nutshell, as I see, you know, the environment. This bubble is gonna be popped because oh, um the, the concept of uh, a generic patent. Hmm. In the blockchain space, there will be no such thing as a generic patent. I doubt those doubt so very seriously. If you look at all three of the patents I was discussing, if you look at my patent, look at total return systems patent. Um, and if you look at uh, Craig Wright's patent on tokenization, they're actually extremely detailed. My patent is 46 pages, and it is extremely, extremely detailed. Can you, can you link your patent so we can read it? Um, just Google it. Just Google oh, okay. Reggie Middleton patent. Go past okay. all the SEC warnings that I was fraudulent <laughs> for marketing a patent that I knew I would never get. And right above that is the patent that I got. Interesting, right? Um, <laughs> and uh, just Google it, Reggie Middleton patent. Uh, five, six, six, I think are the last three digits. Man, I, um, I hate to wrap this conversation. It has been a 45 minute interview with Juicy One. I guess we, we'll have to wind it down with some of our, our copywriters, trademark phrases, but like how <laughs> we should act, since we've talked about legal so much, maybe we should actually get the damn trademark. So like now I'm nervous, like. But, <laughs> but oh, oh, and let me put a disclaimer in, in case you have a, I am not a lawyer. None so of us are. I cannot give legal advice, <laughs> yeah. and I have not given legal advice, and you shouldn't take the advice if I gave it to you anyway. You get what you pay for. Um, I am pretty strong in finance, but that's my personal opinion. I'm not giving you financial advice. I'm just giving you Reggie's opinion. So I'm not a lawyer. I'm not a smart guy. I'm just a dad. Okay? That's crazy. And talking. I'm a dad that yells at their kids on top of it. So. Yeah. I I played a lawyer in a video game once, so <laughs> audience, I don't I don't recommend you listen to me. I never really don't that. Okay. Well, let's hit him with the questions. Jesse, you go first. All right. Is what you do actually difficult? And that can be like whatever you want that to mean. <laughs> what do I do about what? <laughs> I don't know. Um, like uh like I guess the whatever you want. <laughs> I, it's really open ended. Okay. So um what I do comes second nature to me. For instance, when I read the Bitcoin Wiki and the Bitcoin white paper coming up with the concept of peer-to-peer trustless swaps, I didn't think about it. It just appeared in my head. You know, like someone put their hand in front of your face and close your eyes, it's a reflex. That's not difficult. It's not even an effort. Um, what is difficult is I'm a contrarian by nature. I don't fall into the crowd. When everybody agrees with me, I start to think I'm probably wrong. And, you know, I usually am when everybody agrees with me. It's just a matter of timing. But pushing against the crowd and being discriminated against, and true discrimination. I'm not talking racial discrimination, even though that's there, but discrimination as in you're not part of the clubhouse, you're not part of this particular set, you're not from X, Y, and Z, and then everybody pushing against you, it can wear down over time, but you just simply have to persevere, okay? Almost every genius that was able to capitalize on their genius, I'm not saying I'm a genius, I'll give you an example, was considered insane in the beginning, okay? Everybody came up with a very strong idea was considered um, imprudent. If you look at, if you listen to Elon Musk talk about Tesla and how he could make payroll multiple times and his poker game, et cetera, you're like, wow, look at the risks that he took. But most people don't see that. They just see the richest man in the world, allegedly, with multiple companies that are all executing. But Thank you, you know, if you take a look at an iceberg, you see a little tip of ice above the water. But if you look below, the majority of the mass is below the water. So 
when someone yeah, does D, something goose blocks he thought it was all success and the reality was i was in the kitchen <laughs> during the party. <laughs> yeah. nothing is all success the success might be what gets on put on instagram but the reality is you fight you suffer you persevere you sacrifice you fail failing is the stepping stone of success so to get a very strong mm-hmm. success you need about 149 failures okay yeah, and if you up the stairs yeah, so if you have a problem failing, you know, this is not the job for you, what I do at all. You're not going to do good. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, go ahead, Bork. Go ahead, D. I'll go. Because I'll go. Uh, it's more open-ended than yours. Do you, is there any question you would have liked us to ask you that we didn't? Um, not that to think of them. I'm flexible. I'm just here to answer the question. So. Nice. The last question is, and this is, you know, how to frame it. Ah, here we go. In 10 words or less, can you describe DeFi? The ability to autonomously. Okay, 10 words. Don't go count my words. You're going to do this. I'm not counting. <laughs> okay, but I, I'm going to try and make it work. So I need to learn to shorten <laughs> everything up, okay? Autonomous transfer of value. Oh, the con- t- contingent. Autonomous transfer of value. Contingent autonomous words. transfer of value. Five words. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, audience, thank you for tuning in. Reggie, thank you for showing up. And, you know, I, I, uh, I've listened to you since I got into Bitcoin. I think I stumbled upon your some of your interviews on, like, RT and some of your interviews on... Um, What's the big money, Jim? The Joe's got the Kramer guy. Oh, CNBC. Yeah, CNBC. <laughs> and like, uh, you know, I just, I was like, man, this guy speaks. It makes sense. And you know, hopefully, audience, if you're listening, go Google Reggie Middleton. Look, just look him up on Twitter. It's all right there. You'll find out like his history just speaks for itself. Um, and it's like a great opinion just to take into consideration as you're doing your own due diligence, right? And it's not just a meme when we say do your own research or no, I'm not going to say research because I know that offends Corey. <laughs> do your own due diligence. Do, do your own due diligence, right? And, you know, so anyways, um, thank you, Reggie, for swinging by. And, you know, we hope to have you on Hashing It Out very soon. That's sparking up here in like three weeks. So, Okay. Well, thank you for having me. I look forward to it. Hey, it's me again. Does your job still suck? Are you still mad at your job and therefore life sucking? Then you should join the Bitcoin podcast Slack where the people there don't suck or at least their jobs don't. So in essence, their lives don't either. Join the Slack. Can we talk about consensus mechanisms now? That's very, that's very eloquent. Sure. That's, that's very, that's a very articulate and eloquent way of putting external resources versus internal resource. So then the so argument. Like, so one, right? like, one of the indicators, like one of the interesting things about that, by the way, um, is that with proof of work, because you're using external resources and you're pre-committing them in order to get a seat at the table, like a, a statistical seat at the table, you can't penalize anyone if they do something wrong because they're penalizing learn, themselves. I mean, yeah. So by, for instance, by if, wasting if they that energy. an invalid block, like if, if they, if they, if they, you know, found the correct hash that solves the massive Sudoku puzzle, not really Sudoku, but it's appropriately 
reasonable analogy. Uh, and they submit something that the rest of the network rejects. So like they try and make a, a, a transaction that's invalid. Then they've wasted all the energy up to solve that problem because the, the, the block just gets rejected and they keep moving. Um, but if they're able to, you know, take 51% of the network, then they can keep going and keep that type. And so you can make valid transactions and double spend them if you control a large portion of the network. 51%. Why are we starting at the base? Of time. Time. Uh, proof of stake, half. on the other hand, one second, I'll get to that. Proof of All stake, right. on the other hand, allows you to penalize people for doing bad things. Commensurate to the degree of badness. So, like, because they have value locked up on the chain and a unique identifier with that value, everyone knows who gets to participate. And in the event that someone submits something that is bad or wrong, that doesn't follow the rules, you can penalize them and take their money away because it's all on chain. Another interesting, not complete property of this is that with proof of work, the ability to enter and exit as a validator or miner in the case of proof of work, uh, you don't need to do anything. You just start mining. And if you get, if you get the answer, you get the answer. If you don't, then no one knows that you tried. Um, in proof of stake, there's usually some ceremony of participation. So it takes a while to, uh, become part of the committee. That's part of consensus, distributed consensus. And so there's some time frame in which you, you have to buy in. And if you want to go further into like different types of consensus mechanisms, then that drastically changes like how many people can participate and the timeframes in which you can get in and get out. Mm. What'd you say, Jesse? I forgot my question. That's why you got to write down your questions and reserve them for the end of the presentation. Jesse this is like, Oh no, I remember it. Active I remember listening. Again. Um, what's the what's the uh, start point for the education or like the conversations that we'll have that are like somewhat technical for hashing it out? What's like what's because what? yeah, so, like for instance, this conversation, this kind of like mini lecture that you gave on proof of stake versus proof of work, like we've already done this like many times over yeah. the past few years. So like, what's the start point for people who are listening into hashing it out? Like, because we probably won't go over this stuff again, right? We'll always we'll keep going over it. I told us I've I've repeated this conversation forever and i'll keep doing it because a lot of people who who are in this ecosystem have, have no idea about these things interesting and and the and since the science keeps changing our ability to participate in distributed consensus in new more efficient ways and the different types of distributed consensus we have um keep changing and getting better and proof of work changes and you know there's all these different efficiencies that we have if you look at Chia, right, that's a different version of proof of work, but it uses hard drive space as opposed to pure energy and hashing. Mm -hmm. uh, proof of time and space, is that what it is? Yeah. So like there's types of things like that that like change the distribution and efficiency of how people can participate. Uh, we're going to have to keep having this conversation because a lot of people just jump in and they don't know and they're going to keep asking. So like, I don't know, I write it down sometime or we take note of when I do it. And when people ask, we point to it. It's like yeah, our ability I mean, to discover these conversations from the podcasts we have is doesn't exist. So 
Yeah, yeah, we don't really tag and separate things. I think we're going to have a better... Well, I think we'll be better at this and hashing it out because... Yeah, it'll be curated. We're, we can do that on like YouTube, more resources to doing it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah, like, we'll we'll do a little bit different curation on hashing it out. We've learned our lessons, and we're interested to show you guys how we evolve. Like, it's going to be some Pokemon-level shit, I'm going to tell you, like, right now. You're going to be like, holy cow. They went from peak... They went from peak I'd love actually. it if we had, like... Uh, like avatars not, that evolve. Not, like, you look at like when you look at YouTube stuff today, or and actually most podcasts time today, they're yep. time steps based on content, and so you yep. can just go through the description and see like what was yep. talked about, and that's searchable, mm-hmm. right? Yep. That takes people. That takes people doing that though, and that's means we have to pay someone. You know, it does that Hindenburg. In the, on really? the fly. Hindenburg does do that, but like on the fly, someone has to do it while you edit it. Yeah, yeah. that's true. These are these are facts. That someone has to do it is a big thing. Guess what? Guess what I'm not going to do. <laughs> Guess what I know how to do, and I'm not going to do. That's, that's <laughs> what it is. So there we go. But um, I've been looking in the private chat. Alicia was a librarian, so she knows how to be a human Google. Like it's crazy. Human and Google. Can, can we start calling you that, Alicia? Human Google. Human Google, you can still contact a New York librarian and ask questions at 917-ASK-NYPL. That is 917-ASK-NYPL. So all for all the kids listening, please call your New York librarians to get answers to all the things that you... Golly, that's... Holy cow, if really like... people listen under- to us and they did this, the distribution of age of the normal calls that that librarian gets is going to just get drastically more wild. Cause I, you know, they're only getting people calling that are like 70 and above. Yeah. It's, it's gotta be pretty aged people. We can but call yeah. right now, guys. We can ask them. No, we're not calling. <laughs> call. But the thing is, is like, what you, you gotta think about it. If you call a New York librarian, ask them how tall, uh, like Mount Fuji is, they're just going to Google it. Like right there on the phone. If they're, they're gonna, no, they're, they're going to know. They're going to if, if they're they should tell you to Google it yourself because that's not what a librarian does. <laughs> they don't the, answer your questions. They tell you where to find it. Oh, okay. Well, you can still contact a New York librarian at nine one seven ask NYPL. Uh, for those of you that are too young to know how to put in the phone ask NYPL, I don't know what to tell you. Um, you can't do this. And then, <laughs> and, then, and then for those of you that are old enough, Sorry that's about you. and they're open from 10 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern. 6 p.m. is pretty late for a library. So, you know, good on New York. Um, but moving into to other topics. So we've talked about distributed hash tables, and we've also discussed the nuance between proof of stake and proof of work. I think that the end of the day it's really cool how you deduce it down to one is internal resources one's external resources that's the that's the main factor which dictates the majority of the properties of those networks but i'd also like to add that the internal still has a small percentage of external how so well we run validators and those cost us money that's not somebody that, energy that's the and same across cost. both and that's going to be for any any distributed computer network yeah i just say it's point, lower point is the value where the value comes from for the anti-sybil mechanism how uh, do you how do you have a weight 
to your vote, right? And so for proof of work, it's how much hashing power you have. That's your weight. That's the prob- The more hashing power you have, the more prob- probable you are to get the ability to produce blocks, which gives you a lot of influence over the blockchain, right? That's why people go after large, large pools so they can basically do MEV extraction on things like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, for proof of stake, it's how much you have locked up. That gives you the statistical likelihood to participate in any given vote and earn money from it. Can you imagine it's people that lock shit up? The weight of the, of the anti-civil mechanism, not anything else. You know there's people out there, they lock up all this money in proof-of-stake systems and then never participate. But you have to. You do it like you do it automatically. That's kind of like if you're locking it up, you're not running, you have to run a note, otherwise you get penalized. No, I mean like um, well, maybe we're talking about two different things. Yeah. Like for example, on uh, Algorand, where you can lock up a certain amount of money, and then you've got to vote in the governance of the Algorand network. Yeah, some people but, just sit on it; they don't even vote and get yeah. the percent APY. You know, there's people are like, "Oh, I'm lock up my money and then not do." Yeah, anything. because they're that's the that's the, that's what I'm talking about earlier. Like, we're gonna keep having this conversation because people don't understand differentiation in these things. They just yeah, think, just like, oh, I locked it up; it's fine. It's just like the other networks. No, no. What's interesting is that, like, like for instance. Um, my dad has Algorand and I tell him there's this governance thing that you get a percent APY. He's like, I don't care. I'm like, okay, like that's it. <laughs> like you can get more of it if you do this and you Dude, get to participate. He's like, I don't up. care. I it's don't care. so human do nature it. though. Like, go up. No, it's yeah. so human nature because I get these huge, I get like, I've been on E-Trade now for over a decade and you know, you slowly gather a okay look at portfolio of random stocks when you're like, I'm gonna go and rent. Here's my random look at stock day. And you're like, oh, that one looks like a good price. And this might not be a scam. You buy it, you buy a little bit. It's in your portfolio, your brokerage account. But then you get these huge pamphlets of what that company's doing. And let me tell you what I do with those huge pamphlets. And those little bitty cards are like, hey, fill this out and send it back, and you get to vote. I'm like, garbage. Hard garbage. Some of them I do like a jump shot into the dumpster. I'm like, I'm not reading this pamphlet on your financials and I'm not voting on shit. I'm going to look on E-Trade. If number go up, good. If number go down, you are back to the cash. Incredibly, incredibly good investor. (laughs) Back to the cash accounting goes. We're talking about very small amounts of money here, right? We're not talking about like, hundreds of thousands of dollars right obviously if i had that much like i guess that just answers the, that just uh you know it solidifies what you just said cord the more money you have in something the more likely you are to pay attention to what it's doing right so when it has like a significant effect on your life and your ability to secure the future of your life you pay more attention to it word word up Maybe that's what you guys do. <laughs> <laughs> Not me, baby. Hundred thousand. Let's see how it works out oh. in five years. <laughs> um. Anyways, this is it's been a good talk. This is, I like. I wish we had more talks like this. But I have a feeling you're gonna get way more technical when we move to hashing now. I'm gonna be that's asking. Cool. You We're gonna questions. hash stuff out. That's why the name is so good. It's mm-hmm. a good name. So it's a table, but it doesn't have rows. It just has columns. I guess you can make tables like what? that. Whatever. Well, you just told me rows. like one column is a, well, obviously it's it has two, rows. It's a two-column table. Each row is an entry, a key value pair. 
Sorry. When I so I think in Excel sometimes. So I'm thinking like there's A's up top and there's numbers on the left. That's that's how, that's how I think of, like that's how I'm thinking. I'm like, what's what are the row headers? What are the column headers? But it's just columns. Yeah, so you're right. There's have, rows and columns. You're right. I mean, if if you were to it, it would just be a matrix, right, Corey? It's like a it's like a two by n uh dimensional matrix. Right. I know. I remember when I did like, uh, like image processing, uh, like on pictures, mm-hmm. like it was like, you know how it's like matrices within matrices, right? Cause it's like RGB intensities, zero to, you know, two fifty five within each pixel. Or, and so like there's three matrices from zero to two fifty five within one pixel. And then when you have like time two, and you have matrices within matrices within matrices, and then you can like make jokes about that. And that was always fun when I did that. Mm. Sorry. That's my story. <laughs> that's my yeah. name is Jesse, and that's my TED talk. Thank you for coming to my TED talk. I appreciate it. <laughs> um, I just that brain. I don't know. No, linear algebra was fun for me, but it wasn't fun because I learned a lot. It was fun. <laughs> it was fun. Be- mm, how do I say this without? I'm not gonna say it at all. Let's change let's change stories because that was gonna get us canceled. I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say it. Uh, let's let's change to something different. Oh, we already said this. What are you doing? Oh yeah, we did. We did say that. We were just yeah, here. Um <laughs> okay. okay, next wrap it up. Yeah, yeah, I guess it's been a good beefy good, good good wrap, wrap up. Wrap so up. let's do some uh let's wrap this puppy up. Let's do some some uh, housekeeping here. So you can join the patron. You can become a patron by going to patreon.com slash Bitcoin podcast and join one of those tiers and getting the stuff. Uh, should we even be broadcasting that anymore? I don't even know if anybody checks that. Daniel does. Come a patron. Patreon.com. <laughs> All right. Next thing. Black. Now, this is something that we do check every day, multiple times a day. It's becoming. I probably spend too much time on it, to be honest. Slack. Uh, <laughs> oh, snaps. Did we get a new review? Yeah, we got a new mm-hmm. review. What? Check this out. May 8th. Oh, is it any this good? Is it terrible? No, nah, this is pretty juicy. This is pretty good. Review. Absolutely amazing podcast. Four exclamation points. I've been listening for just over half a year now. Helped grow my knowledge about crypto and Web3 tremendously. 100% would recommend four exclamation points. Joel underscore Stanger from Canada. You Canadians are so nice. Yeah. And this is, yeah. I want to. May 8th. Yeah. I want to put this in. Like a, look at us go. Thank you, Joel. Join the Slack. Come say hello to us. Yeah, we're gonna like put this. Maybe he is in the Slack, and that's where the actual information came from. Maybe there's a lot more information in the Slack than there is in the podcast. That's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like, how did, how did help that up there? Okay. I want to put it up there so everybody can see. Yeah. <laughs> we could have just shot. made that up, but nevertheless, it's on there. So the reason that's on there is because what you see up there. Know what? There we go. Control your body. That, that purple symbol up there I got you, boo. is the podcast app symbol. So what we're asking you to do is on the podcast app, if you're listening to, <laughs> you, you know, <laughs> if you're listening to... You, you keep trying to click the buttons. <laughs> oh, there you go. If you're listening to this on a podcast app, 
and you're in a position where you can give us a rating on the podcast app to help us, you know, reach more people that like a nice chill podcast where we talk about things other than, oh my God, have you seen the price of CROT coin? It's really crotting the bed right now. I don't know. Stupid shit. Right? We talk about other stuff. What's next? What do we got to do? A little housekeeping here. What do we got? Uh, <laughs> Matt Damon. My Matt Damon. So shout out to Matt Damon. Oh, we we need to hold before we do shout outs. Got to give the rundown on things that we're doing. How'd you get uh, up that up there? Is that a banner? It's a gif. It's a gif. Flat out. Uh oh yeah, it's a banner. Uh so daddow.org, you can go to there. It's slow. Don't worry about the slowness. We're, uh, do we want to talk about it? Like the growing pains. Yeah, do you want to do you want to like just say like, hey, we got stuck. Yeah, we should talk about the growing pains of Dad Dow. <laughs> so we can say how like so Tim did the artwork, right? The artwork is done. So what you're looking at there, not what the NFTs are going to look like. You're looking at old school NFTs that possibly will be sold later. But uh, you know, just like a like a hey, you know, be a part of Dad Dow history. Sorry, got a text that seemed like an emergency. Be a part of Dad Dow history. Dad Dow is a little bit stalled, right? We're mm-hmm. at the point where we're like on the we're cusp. We're okay with that. We're okay with it being stalled. We're okay with it being stalled because we know we already have a lot of meat on the bone, right? We got a lot of meat on this bone. Uh, 80 per, no, 97% of the meat on the bone is because of the man you're seeing down there. Jesse, the man broke. Um, and I went and fucking hired him. Yeah, I'm the one. I'm, <laughs> killed Roger. I'm, yeah, ruined it all. I'm one and a half percent, and the other one and a half percent is is we're we're just waiting on some things. We ran into some hurdles where um, I'll just put it like it is. Our devs have gone. Silent. <laughs> a little bit radio silent, and that's rogue. It's gone rogue. They've gone rogue, right? So, and I know, like, what you're thinking. You're thinking, well, if you don't have devs, you don't have a project. And I say, you're might be, you might be right. You might be right. But what I would say is that I've learned. I love learning, uh, by the way. And what I've learned when you're engaging in a software project is that the quote unquote. I'm going to step into my world right now. I don't want to offend anybody. The direct labor is highly skilled. And when you have highly skilled direct labor, you got to bend. You got to change how you come at them because they're like, look, man, I could catch this football at the professional level for anybody and make big money. So if you don't come at me correct and make sure that the person is throwing the football in my hand correctly, I'm going to go somewhere else where they are throwing the football in my hand correctly. And this is something that I you know, learned hard when it comes to devs. And if you are listening and managing a team of devs, you've got to spend the time to get to know the people because they're super duper highly skilled. And at any moment's notice, we'll give you a giant middle finger either on purpose or accidentally <laughs> and not care, like not care whatsoever. Right. Because it's not going to make any waves in their seat. So this, the project is stalled because our devs have gone rogue, but probably for good reasons. They're like, well, you know, if I want to work on this, I'm not going to work on this project for free. I'm going to work on something that I want to work on that actually makes money. Right. So 
that's where we're at. And with that, that was a collective of, of talent and people that were all essentially working for free. Jesse was working for free. I was working for free. And that's how we know that's how most startups like start. But this is that DAO is not a business, right? So you can't just work for free. Like it doesn't work that way. So we're trying to figure out a strategy to get the devs working. And that's where we're at. <laughs> Just yeah. if you want to help with the project, there's some Discord bot integration. I think that's left to pick up and then maybe uh, running a mint. And then that gets us to a certain yeah. point. But that's yeah, it. at this point, like I'm I'm I've pulled away from that and I'm helping Corey with uh with status stuff. So Yeah. Yep. And I'm learning how to talk to devs. In a They're way fun. It gets them excited. <laughs> it gets them, you know, like, hey, you know, what are you typing on a day, man? Hey, what what's you, fun. what you uh what you what you been doing on the internet lately, bud? You, some, you wanna watch some YouTube videos? No? Okay, cool. Well, all right. Like you gotta find a way to appeal to the devs. So um, you know, read a lot on Stack Overflow and make coding jokes. I'm trying to figure it out. Honestly, I'm lost, but we'll get there. Um what else? Oh, let's get back to the housekeeping part. Before Kendrick Lamar, after that, and that. Okay, no more pictures. Just click the make the pictures go away button. <laughs> <laughs> <All right. laughs> um, we got um, hashing it out, which is around the corner. To actually, start next month. Uh, we're really excited to present. You know, this evolution, and we've been podcasting now for five, seven years. Wow, yeah, seven years. Ah uh, shit! Seven years officially in like two weeks, actually. Which is the first interview be? Uh, if we have one, but Ooh, I let's think the interview first... each other. No, we've been okay. doing that for like months. Now. All right, fine. Hashing out is already a show. We it's not like shit's starting out of nowhere. So right, but, uh, yeah, yeah, we, we interview. I think we need a good interview. I I, I submitted uh, this team, Corey. I think you know of actually. It's like this team of PhDs that will audit your tokenomics. And like, make sure that they're not stupid. It's a team of like six PhDs in e- prison group. Uh, yeah, that's yeah. the one. I know them. I feel like we should get somebody from there, and sure. we should say like, "Hey, obviously, tokenomics is a lot more complicated than people like just like when I say tokenomics to some people, they're like, "Oh yeah, make five million tokens and divide it by however many people." And I'm like, I'm pretty sure it's a lot more complicated than that. I'm pretty sure it's a lot more complicated than that. So we could get somebody on from Prism Group. Hopefully, sorry. Well, that. Well, I'll contact Guido. Okay, the name's Guido. Hey. That's the CEO. So, okay. <laughs> yes. You think he talks like that? That's his name. That'd be funny if he talks. Hey, my name's Guido. I'm here to talk that about tokenomics. Like okay, let's talk about it. All it's right. Definitely not what he sounds like, but it would be awesome if it was. <laughs> How many tokens you got over there? What you working with? Five million tokens? I don't know. I don't know. That's how Guido talks. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> Let's get back to it. Hashing out, starting up. It's going to be a little more serious than that. We're trying to go down a much more technical route and appeal to that 1% that we talk about. Every massive cycle, a bunch of people flood in. Some of them are Matt Damon. Um, but then on the other end of the Matt Damons, there's that dude or woman that's like, hey, this stuff is actually really cool. There's a lot of stuff that this could solve. I'm actually going to get interested in this for the tech. And it's usually that person who stays in long enough and learns enough to be in it for the tech and drive a Lambo. I'm just being honest with you. That's the reality. 
That's the reality. It's because they figure out how it works, and then all of a sudden they're the plumbers in a world where no one knows how to plumb. So we're gonna take that path. Hashing it out dot stream is the website you can currently go to to <laughs> look at what's up there, right? Get get acclimated with the type of conversation that you're gonna be hearing. Of course, it's the old host, it's Corey and the old host, uh co-host, uh Colin, Colin Couchet. Some of you know Mr. For a while, I had a few more, but they dropped off. So. Some of you don't. Um, and there were hashing it out panels, but nevertheless, hashing it out is 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 getting revitalized. So um, is there anything I'm missing at all? That's pretty much everything. Let's riggedy wrap. Kendrick Lamar, shout out to you uh, for having that amazing rap video a week ago and showing the world that you can rap about things they don't quite understand. Okay, next. Uh, shout out to, I can't really see that, but okay. Shout out to Thor and Thor. All right. Oh, yeah. Shout out to Macho Man Randy Savage. Oh, yeah. Isn't he dead? He's got to be dead. He lived got to be dead. Life. There's no way he's alive. Uh, <laughs> shout out to old long neck and wide smile. I'm gonna miss giving you shout outs, girl. I hope Avatar one day, three. you know, I hope one, two and three. Three wait, is it three that's coming out? Did soon? you see the meme that was like Avatar was cool and all, but did nobody realize that it was just a man who sacrificed an entire planet so he could clap some alien cheeks? <laughs> 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 I was like, oh, wow, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I would have, too. We're talking about Zoe Saldana here. Talking about 10-foot-tall Zoe Saldana with telepathic ponytail sex. Would you not? I would. Alicia says there will be four more films, Avatar 5. Jeez. Oh, it's a lot of blue people they need to make one for adults we need to know more about that telepathic ponytail all right uh that's all we got y'all we hope you enjoyed today's show play the outro 